Hello everyone, here's another extract from the conversation Adam Fitzgerald and I recorded with Fran Chua. We're asking Fran about the psychopathic mindset, and Fran is referencing her article series on 9-11, and we also branch out to look at the role of psychopathy in the wider geopolitical arena. Fran also talks about how people who aren't psychopathic can be induced into evil actions. It's a good while since we conducted this interview now, and listening back to it, I hear myself really struggling to make that paradigm shift into the psychopathic perspective. And that's something I've continued to struggle with since, making slow, kind of progress, so maybe one to podcast more on in the future. Anyway, here's the interview with Fran. Just recently, actually, sort of fortuitously, I read the book uh, Wild Swans, Free Daughters of China. Um, it's by uh, a lady who's, uh, whose grandmother lived in Imperial China and was one of the last women to have her feet bound and she was sold off in, to a warlord in this um, very cruel environment. And then the communists came and, and took over and her mother was um, in the Communist Party, fought for the revolution. You can totally see why they did that and everything they thought that was going to, to bring. And then they lived through uh, the Great Leap Forward, Mao's Great Famine, and mm-hmm. the Cultural Revolution, and, mm-hmm. um, and the disillusionment of that, and, and her recognition that she was basically in a giant cult and had to get out of this mindset then. Um, but mm-hmm. what, it, what it brings forth is, you know, in her study, subsequent studies of Mao, Mao Zedong, it, it fascinated me that there's someone who um, had, would openly have beliefs like it doesn't matter if the Americans nuke China because we can breed more people, right? So even if 200 million people died, we, could just, we can produce more people. So that's not a commodity. People aren't a commodity where we're short of. That's, that was openly uh, his attitude on that. Um, Mao Zedong, sorry, Mao oh, yes. Zedong, the Communist leader yes. of China. Mm-hmm. Uh, and reading about the Cultural Revolution, how Mao lost power in, in China um, after his uh, great leap forward and then came up with a way to manipulate society and turn everyone against everyone else uh, to get it back and it struck me with regard to your writing that you have um, one article I can't remember the name of the experiment but it was a school teacher who told the blue-eyed children that the brown-eyed mm-hmm. children were less mm-hmm. intelligent and they had to sit in a different place mm-hmm. and they get different work and very quickly it set in that they started to perceive themselves that way and animosity came about between them yeah. And I thought of that, that. If you're a sane person and you read that, you have certain thoughts about it. OK, you think, wow, that, that's really like horrifying and it's going to make me really conscious of how I treat people. So I don't have unconscious prejudices because I can now see how that could affect our interactions with regard like race, nationality, gender, all the rest. Mm-hmm. But then it occurred to me, like not everyone would see that that way. There are there's a percentage of people who would look at that and go, ha. Huh, that's really interesting. I could use that to manipulate people and get myself above them in some way and control them. So it's one of the things that I constantly wrestle with because, you know, I'm like, I'm thankfully um, not psychopathic myself, um, I don't think. And I have to think about, okay, like there are people who see the world the way I might approach playing a computer game where life doesn't matter so much and all the rest. So um, what's been your sort of understanding approach to that of, of trying to see the world from a perspective that is like completely alien to our own and mm-hmm. come to understand that and what its, its motivation is and how can people go about that? 
Yeah, and I just, by the way, recently watched uh, this wonderful documentary called China, A Century of Revolution. And I don't know if you've seen that, but it is mm -hmm. excellent. And it gave me such a, a understanding of those people's history uh, and what they went through. It was nothing like our history in America. I mean, we're very lucky for the history we've had, but uh, boy, they suffered through so much. Um, so, um, but yeah, well, the, the reason I wrote the segment on people without conscience, which would be the true sociopaths or psychopaths, is because I ran into so many people who told me, I just can't go where you've gone, you know, to believe that even one person in our government, even a few would do this. It's something, I just can't go there, you know, and another person who said, Fran, what kind of monster would have done this? Like related to talking to me about 9-11. What kind of monster would have done this? And they're just, they're good people. And they're people who don't, who believe, like you say, everyone else is like them. They're basically good people. And they have empathy and they have a conscience. Um, so I, you know, needed to read up on psychopathy and and uh, write on that. And um, what I learned was amazing is that with the psychopaths or the true sociopaths, I just use those words interchangeably, uh, these people are actually very emotionally handicapped is the way I like to look at it. I like to try to have compassion for everyone, even the psychopaths, because I think of it like this. What if I had a son who was a psychopath? what would I want for him? I, I wouldn't want to see him as a monster. I'd want to see him as a handicapped person, you know, a person who needs to be kept away from society, yes, but a handicapped person who is very uh, emotionally uh, deprived. And so as I learned, what I learned from it, my main source of information with Martha Stout's book, The Sociopath Next Door, and what I learned from that is that, um, these people actually have a very different brain scan. You do the SPECT brain scans. They, their brain scans show a certain pattern. There are certain parts of the brain that are uh, reduced in volume. And there's other parts of the brain where uh, they're, uh, it's like not reduced in volume, but uh, it's something to do with the function of the brain. It's just not working like other people. And so you can recognize by seeing these brain scans, you can recognize the psychopathic brain scan. And that's basically, in my opinion, the only way you can really determine if a person is a true sociopath or psychopath is by that abnormal brain scan, you know. And we have to just feel sorry for people like that. Yes, keep them away from society, but we have to feel they can't love. They have no sense of what love is. They can't feel real joy. They uh, cannot uh, feel empathy. They have no sense of conscience. And uh, so we need to recognize who they are and keep them away from society. And, and interestingly enough, in our society, we reward the psychopathic behavior. In other words, we reward especially men who will be dominating and who can make a ton of money, doesn't matter who they screw along the way, you know. We reward uh, dominance and power. 
And so, uh, so it's not like other societies, like, uh, like for example, I read that uh, in Taiwan, there's a moral community kind of consciousness and the, uh, the percentage of people who are found to be sociopathic is much smaller than in the U.S. It seems to be growing in the U.S. Another example is the Inuit, who would have to be a very cooperative culture. And if someone came who had those psychopathic tendencies, they would put up with them as long as they could. And then their way of dealing with that person would be, let's say he's raped the women, he's, you know, you know, he's, you know, stolen things. He just keeps doing all this, this behavior that they cannot tolerate anymore. They take him on a, uh, a hunting foray and uh, with, ju with just a few, with some of the men. And when no one's looking, they push him off the ice into the ocean. You know, they have their way of killing that person, of dealing with them so that that, uh, uh, so that, that tendency is not, that is not rewarded in that society. It is rewarded in our society. And so some of these people, most of them are not killers, but some of them uh, are killers and they can kill without any remorse. They have no remorse. They don't have the capability of remorse. That's one of the things they, they lack. And uh, so you can imagine some of these people, they, power is the main thing that uh, they want, is power. Where there's power over their family or power over a nation. And so, um, these are the kind of people who will tend to rise toward power, you know. So there are, they, they say, the studies say there's anywhere between one and four percent of our culture in America are psychopathic, which is really huge, you know. It's really a lot of people. That's one in four hundred, in a hundred people. You know, that's a lot. Um, but there are other people who uh, are maybe not true sociopaths, but do not have the capacity for empathy or uh, or much of a conscience, and those are the people I mentioned in my uh, that article, which are people who are uh, have reactive attachment disorder. Uh, they have not been able to attach as an infant to one caretaker, and so they so they're they're actually and I'm pretty sure they're brain damaged as well. You know, from not having uh, the nurturing that they needed in life. Uh, so there's people with attachment disorder. There's people who are extremely narcissistic, uh, uh, who, uh, uh, you know, just need to be, they, they're also uh, in it for power. They're in, they need lots of power. They're very much attached to their image and their need for power. And there's people with borderline personality disorder. These are all people who are emotionally deprived as well. Not as bad as the true psychopath, the true sociopath. But it's okay. still Let me ask you about those degrees, because what I see when I look at like the history of violent situations is people will tend to in-group and out-group very quickly. Okay, so you have um, like you have Israelis who will set up deck chairs to watch the bombing of Gaza when that's going on as a kind of entertainment. Okay, oh, okay. Um, and that seems like demonic to us except yeah. i've been to belfast quite a few times in my life and i can it's one of, like one of the nicest places you ever go but back in the 70s when a bomb would go off in one community the other community sections of the other community would cheer and come out in celebration that wow. some civilians had just been killed over there and vice versa and these are people who live streets away but they are other okay and people that might have a moral code 
about killing in their own community, mm-hmm. you get to some sort of arbitrary line. And that, that line could be skin color. It could be ethnicity. It could be geography. And you go over that line, it's fine. Mm-hmm. And, and we see this with like, um, well, I mean, our culture's just done a big time with the Iraq war. Okay. Where, uh, you know, the, the gravity of like the hundreds of thousands of dead doesn't hit us the way, like I have, um, you know, I have friends who will defend will say, well, yeah, but on balance, Tony Blair wasn't a bad prime minister. But if he, if he'd done to London, what he did to Basra or Baghdad, you know, they would have like, the, the, the sections of London blown up and people lying dead in the streets. No one would say, oh, well, maybe he's not a bad guy. This guy's a monster, right? But because it happened over there, it doesn't, even really people who are very nice in the day-to-day address, they don't, we don't get murder at a distance mm-hmm. the same way. And um, this has a, um, that's a thing in and of itself. It also has relevance, I think, to understanding specifically 9-11. When I look at like US imperial history and all the coups the CIA carried out, a lot of the people involved in that seem to have been like Star Spangled Banner guys, like real, they would have thought of themselves as real American patriots, okay? And they were defending the world from the spread of communism. And I think that could extend to like believing that doing good for American corporations abroad was also being a patriot, you know, because you're extending the American way and United Fruit really should have their plantations in in Guatemala and so on. And that's all mixed up. But I do think um, looking at the, what I can determine for the psychological profile of them just from from reading about such people, they might've had restrictions about doing such a thing inside the United States. That seems like you need like another level and maybe not like the assassination of president. There's that, um, uh, e. Howard Hunt's deathbed confession about killing Kennedy is meant to have said when he was asked why he did it because I'm a patriot. So yeah, you can see how shooting someone could have shot Kennedy. What? what did he say? He's meant to have said it, it was because I was a I am I am a, I am a patriot. Okay? Oh, okay. So you're getting rid of this useless, mm-hmm. you know, mm-hmm. commie loving president because that's the patriotic thing to do. But the mass slaughter of civilians takes it to another level. So it mm-hmm. will be easy for me to understand, say, um, Zionists motivationally doing it okay because zionists were prepared to blow up the king david hotel back in the 1950s to keep the british in the middle east for, and there's an in and out group okay and the british are in the out group so that's okay and maybe you could sit like they could strategize well okay we need america the u.s empire to be involved in the middle east and anti-arab anti-palestinian for the coming century so new yorkers they're the out group but what i think is hard um for people and for me to understand is the kind of the motivation then within um, the U.S. deep state, because I don't think Zionists logistically could have done it. Like it obviously requires people inside the U.S. The kind of motivation going on uh, behind such an attack. Now, I, I'm well aware that I'm asking you to speculate or just give whatever thoughts you, you've had on that. But mm-hmm. in kind of the mindset of, of people when they are prepared to like disregard even that sense of in-group and be motivated by i don't know what really to to go ahead of a, an event like a, a 9-11 or any false flag against the, the population yeah i think that's what's so uh that we can't get our heads around that you know uh yes we can understand going to war and killing people in another land people we don't consider uh quite as human as we are you know uh, but uh, but to kill our own population, especially so many people, even though we've seen it throughout our history, there's a history of this. Uh, 9/11 is a big jump, and um, and it's really something that's so difficult to get our heads around. Um, uh, 
so uh, we don't know if all of the operatives were Americans or not. We, there's a lot we do not know. But a lot of the operatives had to be Americans, you know. They, they couldn't have been anyone. There had to be some of the operatives that were Americans uh, in probably intelligence agencies and that sort of thing. Uh, probably Dick Cheney knew exactly what he was doing. Probably uh, Rumsfeld knew exactly what he was doing. And by the way, I do think Rumsfeld is a true sociopath. You know, <laughs> that's my... Uh, Cheney, I haven't decided yet, but... Uh, whether it's narcissism or sociopath, sociopathy, but uh, so it is really, really hard to get our heads around it, and um, so because a lot of these, a lot of these people are not sociopaths who do this, and not everyone could have been a sociopath uh, who uh, you know placed the explosives, you know, who planned it. Not everyone was probably a sociopath. So how do we get our heads around that? Well, and I can go halfway. I don't really know. You know, I just know, well, here's the evidence, you know. <laughs> so, so here's my difficulty. Well, one thing that um, I come back to is Theodore Roosevelt wrote a letter um, back in his day where he commented that it would be a good thing if a foreign navy, a European navy, attacked and burnt New York down, okay, mm. because the Americans were just a lily-livered bunch who didn't have the stern, manly stuff to go out and forge an empire into the world. Mm -hmm. And the, the, a, a, an assault like that, that would bring it about. And of course, Theodore Roosevelt was around when you have the, the kind of quite dodgy incident happening with the destruction of the USS Maine and then the Cuban and Filipino mm -hmm. wars. Um, so there's that. But they have it for me. That is very understandable okay to me that roosevelt did not think in terms of individual life being important he thought right. about the destiny of nations and the great man the strong man of history and he was yeah. going to be the strong man the great president um so deaths in new york it's a price worth paying you know in in the same way you could say mao is uh, mao zedong and mm -hmm. deaths of the chinese people well mm -hmm. you know who can't we're forging a great nation here what do you what are you talking people die anyway you know mm -hmm. who cares um, and I can see that, but I can also see very, like, very clearly, because he was very, very explicit about it in the way people could be in the late 19th century. Roosevelt was very explicit about his driving forces and his motivation. He was an uh, unapologetic American imperialist, and the Americans needed an empire like the British. Um, and that's, I think, what I struggle with, um, with the Dick Cheney's and the Donald Rumsfelds, of like, in a way, I don't struggle with the Zionists. Okay, yeah, I know, I know what... Benjamin Netanyahu thinks and what, you know, and Ariel Sharon. But I think that's something that maybe, maybe it's me, but maybe the wider movement hasn't quite grasped what is the motivation here going on. Um, I was very drawn to Mike Rupert's work for a long time, and that kind of filled that gap with the, the whole peak oil thing is because, oh yeah, if we're running out of oil, then yeah, they have to have their imperial wars. But we're all sat here 20 years later and the oil's still okay. So that maybe doesn't quite work. So that, that's what I think... Um, I'm searching for in that it's like the, the the ideology and does it tie into some you know it's kind of one world government conspiracy or something but um I think that it's hard maybe to fully get one's head around 9-11 without having that sense of so what what really did cause these people to take that extraordinary risk and that murderous action um yeah. what in all the ideology? in all of these cases that you mentioned what causes people to have that kind of behavior um and 
the only, you know, Richard, the, I cannot tell you, but the thing that comes to mind at this point in time is that um, these are obviously people who, assuming they're not true sociopaths, you know, and um, who have such a sense of separation and superiority to other people. In other words, uh, the mystical experiences that some of us have that see the, that the true, that we truly experience the oneness of all of creation, that we're all, all part of the divine and we're all one together. In other words, you know, that they are so far removed from their true nature and their true identity and they're so caught up in their image of being uh, separate and superior that they lose uh, the sense of, of uh, compassion and empathy for other people. I mean, this is just the only thing that comes to my mind. It almost comes down to a spiritual sickness, you know. Um, so I also imagine people who have grown up in families who are very, very privileged, you know, families who are very wealthy, who are very privileged, who grew up from infancy on being taught that they are superior, that they are exceptional, and uh, far different from the rest of humanity. And so that uh, belief must stick with them, you know, uh, so I, these are just the things that come to my mind. I'm welcome if if you have anything to share. I mean, it is something that's hard to get one's head around, you know. Uh, and yet, you know, when we think about it, uh, um, maybe we have that capacity, maybe every one of us has that capacity to separate ourselves so completely from other people that we can not be horrified at the thought of destroying thousands of other lives. You know, I just don't know. I suspect we all have that capacity somewhere. It's, it's interesting when you can feel yourself slip into it. Okay, like, I mean, I find Mike Rupert's idea of peak oil, I don't think is accurate entirely. Um, I was a big believer in it for a while, and I won't go on to why I don't think it's like that. In, in peak oil, the peak oil paradigm of nine oh, So yes. Mike Rupert, um, set 9-11 in the context of peak oil okay mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. and that i think it has a functional value for me in that if i adopted that i could then see okay the world's going to run out of oil it's going to be chaos billions of people are going to die we need to control the last drops of it on earth so we need to get the military into the middle east no question about it it just mm -hmm. absolutely has to happen Three thousand people in new york inconsequential in comparison mm -hmm. absolutely inconsequential and that's interesting when you can find something like that that can move you to a little bit and i'm not saying i would like actually think that but how i can mm -hmm. i can see how it's in me to go that way you know mm -hmm. and it's when 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 something is born out of necessity it feels like this is the thing that absolutely has to happen and the thing that absolutely has to happen it could be zionism it could be like we absolutely need to have an israeli state in the jewish state in the middle east and you know, if people have to die for that, then then okay. Or it could be controlling the oil, or it could be 
some sort of global empire or an American empire, but whatever the thing is that I need, I absolutely need this thing in the external world to be that way, then I'm prepared to kill for it and kill potentially in large numbers. Mm -hmm. And the same thing happened in Nazi Germany, uh, in which, uh, from my reading anyway, uh, the, uh, there was a central policy document to destroy, uh, exterminate all of the Jewish people in Europe. And uh, there were speeches given, um, I'm trying to remember who it was at the time, I don't know if it was Martin Borman or um, might have been someone else, who said, now this is not to be talked about. Where he was talking to a group of, of, of uh, officers, you know, military officers. This is not, this is only be talked about among ourselves. That uh, is not to be talked about in the public. Uh, but as far as the Jewish question goes, the final solution, you know, uh, all of you know what it's like to see a hundred, a thousand corpses all lying together. And all of you remain decent people nonetheless, because this is what our country needs. You know, we need to get rid of these people. Uh, and this is what our country needs. So in other words, you're being patriotic. You're doing the right thing by killing these thousands and thousands of Jewish people and other people, of course, you know, uh, this is for the, this is for the good of our country. So you're being patriotic to do this. We all know how horrible this is, but they are giving a, 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 a pep talk basically to go ahead and understand that they were doing the right thing. Um, uh, so it's the same thing there. I think we've seen this throughout history and throughout cultures uh, where people can um, uh, kill uh, thousands of people uh, uh, and, and have a justification for it, you know. Um, and I also think back, there's some way, there's some way you dehumanize those people though. Otherwise you cannot do it. If, if someone you love is in that group, you know, your own son, your own daughter, you would not be able to follow through, you know. Um, but the same thing is true, which I was horrified by this, but there was a documentary I saw, I think it was on the Discovery Channel many years ago, and I still have a VHS of it, of the people studying the chimpanzees. And they would see one, this one troop of chimpanzees, the people who were studying them would watch, and the male, it would be the males, they would get together and they'd start grooming each other, you know, and they knew that was a sign that, that this warlock party was going to go out, you know. The males would groom each other. In other words, they were bonding together, you know. And then on some signal, they would all get up, leave the troop, and go out to find another troop somewhere in the forest. And if that troop were less, had less numbers, than they did, they would attack and kill every one of them. No reason whatsoever, you know. Uh, no, they weren't. They weren't killing for food. They were killing. It was a war party, you know. So that horrified me to see that. And yet, I believe, even though we're so like the chimpanzees, I believe that. I still believe that if we are given the nurturing we need from conception on really, in conception on through birth, and we're giving the nurturing we need and the uh, uh, appropriate education, but especially the nurturing by a nurturing mother, you know, that we 
will not be as capable, we will not be as capable or even capable of doing that. And yet it's in our genes, it, apparently, from the study of the chimpanzees. So, so all I'm saying is this is what we observe with chimpanzees. This is what we observe across cultures. And, and all I can say is that in some way, though, they have made that those ones that they kill, they've made those others less than human, you know. They dehumanize them in some way in order to be able to do that. So it just seems to be an observation that we have of, of these, these two hominids. <laughs> are, you, are you following this? Do you have yeah, no, anything, absolutely, to, absolutely. You have anything um, to say about it? I mean, that's just what I've observed and read. Yeah, Adam, I, I'm, I'm, I'm pretty good at that. Adam, do you, I've, I've got one more question up my sleeve, I think, Adam, but I'm just aware of like keeping Fran all afternoon as well. <laughs> yeah, no, cool. no, but you know any, more, any more from you, Adam, what, what else have you? you? You undeservedly took the winds out of my sails because this was something I wanted to talk to Fran for a very long time. Um, but I thought you answered it well, but I, just to, to reiterate, um, this is something I've always believed with 9-11, but, I barely had ever spoken to anyone about, and that is the multiple layers of apathy uh, mm -hmm. that can be shown in regards to September 11th, uh, 2001. Yes. What, what, we, what we know as a public and what has been broadcasted by the media and is almost like a quote-unquote official narrative is that we see the hijackers as nothing more than fanatics and that they're void of any human empathy. Um, and so we, we broadcast this throughout the world. But I think that is selling the public short. And what I want to almost expand upon is that in each instance detailed uh, regarding the multiple actors that are involved with 9-11, people were either harmed and killed. Now, examples are shown from like the hijackers' motivations and goals, which are different than say the intelligence apparatuses, foreign and domestic, whose motivations were protecting the hijackers and allowing them to conduct operations, mm -hmm. um, and which are different from the State Department who denied uh, who, or, or uh, helped cover up the crimes of 9-11 uh, so that judicial agencies couldn't prosecute properly the, the hijackers and their crimes or the people who funded these hijackers. All in all, each entity uh, helped create this level of apathy, but they were for different reasons. Now, when we look at the hijackers, we think they're the worst human beings on planet Earth for what they did. But we don't look at people like George Bush or mm -hmm. Rumsfeld or Cheney, who went and created a war based upon a false a narrative on Iraq, which mm -hmm. helped killed over a million people. And people yes. don't look at that and say, well, you know what, that's the cost of war. But when you look at the hijackers' motivations in which they killed 3,000 people, it's almost as if that's an uncomparable mm -hmm. um, notion as opposed to what the State Department and what the intelligence apparatus helped killed over a million people. Yes. Could you, could you give me your thoughts upon the multiple levels of indifference and how they're could be egregious for another, or are they similar? Um, <laughs> it's interesting. Um, it's reminding me of those experiments, the um, authority experiments by Stanley Milgram, 
uh, in which uh, two thirds of the people who were asked by an authority in a white coat to pull the lever to the point of giving 450 volts of, of shock to this learner, the student, knowing that the student had, or believing that the student had a heart problem and could die from pulling that lever. Two thirds pull the lever because of the authority telling them to do it. It was shocking to me when I learned that. I was in undergraduate school when I learned that. And I realized, and I read that experiment, I realized that I had been brought up in a fairly, not totally, but fairly authoritarian family. And I probably would have pulled that lever too. I may have. It horrified, horrified me to even think about that, you know. And then I realized, don't ever trust authority again. Always use your own judgment, you know. <laughs> but there's that level of the person who pulls the lever because an authority said to do so. And that's pretty egregious, you know. But then there is also the people, they had another variation on the experiment in which they had a person doing a subsidiary task. Uh, in other words, the person would just be doing word pairs. Uh, it didn't have any, they didn't have to pull a lever, but it had something to do, the word pairs that they were doing, it was like a desk job, you know, something to do with the other person pulling the lever. And they found that, uh, so I don't remember, I don't exactly remember how that experiment goes, but they found that the person doing the subsidiary task it was not two thirds who would go along with pulling the lever. It was 90%. So they didn't feel responsible because they were not pulling the lever. So the people in their offices doing what they're told to do, you know, uh, uh, giving the press releases they're told to give the press, doing whatever subsidiary action that they were doing uh, it's, it's like they're not taking responsibility and it seems to be borne out by those experiences, by those experiments. Uh, so there is a level of difference in responsibility, but, but, uh, not totally, you know? So, uh, I, it just, all I can say, Adam, is it reminds me of those experiences, you know, the people who are apathetic, who don't do anything about it, who, uh, uh, you know, are um, uh, just as responsible for staying silent, really, in that way. And yet there's also other things going on. We have to think that we're very complicated creatures. There's other things going on, like, for example, a learned helplessness. You, I wrote about that in one of my essays. I've run into quite a few people who have said to me, well, that's too big for me, 9-11. That's just too big for me. I, I can't deal with this. It's way too big. I'm going to deal with something I can deal with, you know. So it, I don't know if it's true or not, but those people could have some, something in their background, some kind of trauma or something where they were, they learned helplessness, you know, and they can't go for the, the big uh, issues for which they might become ostracized from their family or their community for which uh, they might get criticism uh, or that might stimulate so much fear they don't know what to do with it. So that we were very complicated creatures, so I really don't know the answer to the question. All I know is what it reminds me of.
I have one more question if you time before we, we okay. close. And it's about All the right. chimpanzees. So the chimps are creating this really strong in-group by having an out-group, okay, where yes. they're really grooming and bonding with each other. Um, right. And people say this about the war here, that we, the society was never so connected as when we were killing Germans. You know, that was a wonderful time. Um, so essentially, there's a, a sense of oneness being evolved, but a false sense, okay, and yeah. a really destructive sense. And this is what cults do, okay? Um, so then my question pertains to, for a lot of people, 9-11 wasn't only a temporal awakening to what goes on in the world, but it also opened them up spiritually in some sense. And I think people, I've met a lot of people who, the, seeing the collapse of Building 7 or something has not only been the start of a political journey, but it's also been the start of a spiritual one. It's almost like a portal that's taken people into deeper questions about the meaning of life and human wow. nature and, and so on. And I, I, I've heard you reference a study of near-death experience. You've spoken about spiritual experience today. So um, I wonder how you see a connection between those two worlds, how they, I mean, it's, a, it's a question that people put to me sometimes, but it's not something I have a, a finalized answer to. Like, is there a connection between the two or am I artificially sticking them together? But between the geopolitical and the, the events and often violence of the world and then this greater spiritual reality, what, what are your thoughts on the, how does that, yeah. how do they relate for you? Yeah, I, I, I think uh, if we don't have a strong spiritual understanding, it will be very difficult for us, all of us, to uh, receive all of this dark information. It's very difficult information and know what to do with it. Um, uh, and, um, and for some people, like you say, uh, being shocked by these events may lead them to uh, greater spiritual understandings. But I, I do feel strongly that if we don't have a strong spiritual basis, a strong spiritual understanding of who we all really are as human beings, you know, that we will have a very, very difficult time with uh, uh, the horrific events that we are faced with in our world. Um, so, and it doesn't mean that it's a cop-out. It doesn't mean it's, sometimes I see some of my new age friends say, oh, you know, friend, it's all perfect, right? And to me, I call that the new age cop-out. <laughs> because it's just an intellectual thing that they've heard and they're repeating so they don't have to look, you know? <laughs> and that's not what I'm talking about. You know, what I'm talking about is a true spiritual understanding of who we really all are. Every one of us, every, every not, not accepting anyone, even the psychopaths, who we all really truly are. Once we have that deep understanding, we have a container for being able to receive this this horrible information that's coming our way and to stay uh in a sense of equanimity about it you know so so i think they definitely you know uh, the world they we're being told by spiritual people that the world is our school you know that this is where we learn and this is where we grow spiritually and that sort of thing so i'm hoping it's true i, I think it's true for me <laughs> but you know but i don't know you know what what can i say i'm very ignorant about all that thanks for listening everyone and do check out fran's article series on the 9-11 attacks i'll link to it in the comments box below